We are the men who. I'm a massive fan of, of self-awareness. If you come from a place of self-awareness, anything that comes after that is going to be far more impactful. To be self-aware, it's about being curious, it's about reflection, it's about going inwards and being critical but not in the negative sense in the kind of like looking for the lessons or the things that we've learned. I think a lot of people because they're on that hamster wheel they don't often take the time to step back and think is this what I've created you know it's that whole life happening to you versus you doing life yeah. and I think a lot of people are in the life's happening to me bracket um, and it doesn't have to be that way. And you learn as you go, you know, I'm a big believer in we're not going to have all the answers when we start, but we need to make, we need to take action to then learn more lessons and it's yeah. a constant, I use the word evolution quite a lot in my coaching, because we can take the first step, we don't always know what the next step's going to be, but we just take the first step and then the second step and you're 25 steps in and you look back and think, God, I'm a totally different person to who I was six months ago, mm. but it does, it does come from from being intentional and deliberate and conscious about going after it, I think. Welcome to the Men Who Talk, the men's mental well-being podcast brought to you by The Men Who. The Men Who is a men's collective for actively maintaining positive mental well-being. With The Men Who, men have the opportunity to talk, listen, support, care for, and help themselves and each other build meaningful connections in person, online, and together. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. Join us on this lifelong journey. We are the men who, and welcome to the men who talk. Nicola, my friend, a very, very warm welcome to the Men Who Talk podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I must start off with an apology. It is, it's a rare, beautiful Edinburgh summer day and I've got you inside a studio here. We're baking hot, but I'm really sorry about this. That's very all right. Don't worry about it. I'd rather be in here than, I'm, I'm a classic Scot. Probably best not to be out in the sun anyway. So. Yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll shrivel up and die if we're out there too long. But look, I, I promise I won't keep you in here too long and we'll get out and hopefully enjoy a lovely evening. But um, like I say, it's, it's really, really great to have you on because um, as we'll get into in the conversation, you and I have known each other for a long time since we were at university together in Aberdeen and um, we had a conversation recently about how our lives are so different even sort of 10 years on from what they were then mm -hmm. um, and the core of this conversation I want to explore with you is, is around your journey into into change and becoming a change coach which is something relatively new for you um, so I want to hear about that and I want to hear about how everybody listening can um, embrace change in their life and make it sustainable for them and, and hopefully improve things through a change journey, the kind of thing that you help your clients with. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that you're the first female guest on The Men Who Talk, which, as the title suggests, is um, a male-focused, a male mental wellbeing-focused podcast. So congratulations and thank you for coming on. What a privilege, thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I do think it's important to acknowledge this because the other half of the conversation I want to look into, in fact, we may look into it first, is the lessons that men can learn from women in terms of managing mental well-being and vice versa um, because I think there is a lot that we can do mm. whether we, we realize it or not we can learn from one another um, and help each other um, on our mental well-being journey so uh, I hope you're up for exploring that and, and sharing your experiences with me today. Yeah absolutely Great. we'll see where we go. We'll see where we go well before we get into all of that good stuff um, can you tell me and the listeners who you are and, and what your story is? 
Yeah, so I'm Nicola Scott, I'm 34, and like John said, we've yeah, met years ago at uni now, I can't believe it's probably over a decade, which is a bit scary. Um, live in Edinburgh, I'm not going to do that classic thing where I define myself by my job, because I've been there, done that, trying to encourage other people not to, but I have um, had a career in sports development, always been really passionate about health, wellness, fitness, taking ownership of your life, um, and I came across coaching probably back in 2017 and had been in the personal development space for probably about six years at that point and had just have this urge and desire to live my best life as cheesy and cliche as it sounds um but finding methods and techniques about how to go and do that I suppose um my core value which I think is really important we might touch on values today but is around personal ownership and responsibility. So it's not really any surprise to me that I've ended up in a place where I run my own business, um, I help other people embrace th- their best life and create the change that they want. And uh, and health and wellness is, like I said, a big part. So I do look at, at how people can optimise their well-being. So I'm sure we'll get into all the good stuff about mental well-being as well. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it goes hand in hand with, with what you're doing now. Um, mm. Even if that's not the, the forefront of what your business is, I'm sure that it comes up with you and your clients. Um, pretty early on into the conversation, so I'd love to I'd love to hear about your experiences with that. Um, as I say, before we go into your coaching journey, what led you to that, and, and what it is you do with your clients, um, I wonder, can we explore what mental well being means to you as a human and a woman? Because I, I ask this of all of our guests when they come on first, and as I say, up until now, they've always been men. So not that I'm putting any pressure or expectation on you, but I'm just really interested to hear what your views are on mental well-being as a concept. Yeah, I, it's such a broad, I suppose, subject matter. But for me, I think it's about how aware you are of your own emotions mindset and how you then can manage that based on the insight that you have about yourself so I've definitely went on a journey with that with my own mental well-being and she will get into experiences that I've maybe gone through um but I think it is about a being able to, to identify and be aware of it and then b how do you manage and process and make sense of that in context of the world that you're living in because we all have very different experiences in life uh, lifestyles or life makeup um and I think mental wellness or mental well-being is affects every area of your life and I think that's why the more people are talking about it and people are actually being intentional about creating a more positive mental well-being state for themselves it's going to have a massive I suppose massively positive impact on everything else on your relationships on your career or your work on your just happiness and joy level you know I talk a lot about happiness and joy to clients because ultimately that's what we're here for you know if you track anything that you're trying to achieve back it's because you want that sense of being happy in life mm-hmm. so yeah and, it, and it, I'm probably quite passionate about not everything always being rosy you know this I think there's a real rise in toxic positivity being discussed um which I think is good is calling out a lot of the you know generic stuff that's not actually helpful for people I think that phrase of you know good vibes only really suppresses people to be able to express and explore their emotions because we're human we're not meant to, we're not meant to feel happy 24 7 we will go through a roller coaster of emotions on a daily basis on a weekly basis on a monthly basis and particularly as a female 
there is that, you know, monthly cycle that you go through that does impact your hormones and your feelings and your emotions. So we have to be real with each other. And that definitely takes a level of vulnerability, which is something I've been working on myself. Um, it's it, it's so complex, but it just starts with talking about it. I think that's how I would summarise it, I suppose. I think just sitting listening to that, I think, and I can very much include myself in this, there'll be a lot of people listening that will just press the rewind button and, <laughs> and listen to that again because it was it was a, an extremely elegant way of putting it um, and resonates hugely with with how I see mental well-being and the differences between that and mental health. Mm. Um, you know, like you described, I tend to see mental well-being as, in, in general terms, quite a proactive way of approaching your well-being. Mm. So taking steps every day that have a cumulative positive effect. Again, generally, I tend to see mental health as reacting to a, a negative situation or trait or um, feature within your life. So yeah. I, I'm I'm going to hold on to that definition. I'm going to write it down. I might put it on the website. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for sharing that. Um, there is something else there. You you talked about, you, re, you referenced your experiences, and we, we'll come on to those in a minute. But there is something else, toxic positivity. Mm. Now, that is not a phrase that has come up on this podcast yet. And I want to just explore this. But under the context of, I don't think any of us are born with an innate knowledge or at least an, uh, an innate ability to articulate what mental well-being is. I think most of us have to go through some sort of toxicity in our lives to explore what wellness is and well-being is. Have you had to go through an ounce of toxicity, toxic positivity to come out the other side and say, right be mature enough to say, actually, do you know what? We're not supposed to be happy 24-7. Mm. Tell me how you've reached that conclusion. Yeah, and if you'd asked me the question a couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have even known the phrase toxic positivity because I was wrapped up in it and was probably part of the problem three or four years ago. Um, I think there is there is so much power in having a positive, optimistic outlook in life. Um, and the, I'll... I'll quote Simon Sinek as I do a lot of conversations with people, but he, I watched a video and he talked about positivity versus optimism and positivity is unrealistic in that, and exactly that expression I use, toxic positivity, it suppresses how we feel, which is, you know, where a lot of trauma comes from if we can't express our emotions. Mm -hmm. He talks about optimism being there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So even if I'm having a really tough day or something really drastic's happened to me or I'm just feeling a bit low, you know, there's light at the end and I'm going to, you know, as we get to know ourselves at a deeper level, we know how we can get through that and process it and move through the tunnel maybe slightly faster than we could have if, before we've had the experience. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to answer the question, I do this all the time, I go off on a tangent, so pull me back if you need to. But We've got time. The, um, I suppose my experience, I you know, was was running a health and wellness business. I was surrounded by other quite positive, optimistic people. And I probably hadn't, it's like that I've probably removed myself from a situation and taken the rose tinted glasses off and seen seen it for what it is mm. um and also just that allowing myself probably in the last 18 months to be okay with surrendering into how I feel at the time mm. and I think there's a real nuanced approach to when is the right time to push myself to achieve something I want and when's the right time to surrender and take a step back and you know maybe take a mental well-being day or reset the deadline to give myself more time or you know it's managing your life 
around how you're feeling effectively. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have probably I've I've been in it and I've come away and I can see it very differently now. Um, and that's probably what where I've got to now with you know change coach and and it's really important to me that people understand themselves and and give themselves the permission. I think as humans, like I said, we're, we can be really complex. So you can feel an emotion. And that one emotion can then be the waterfall effect to feeling loads of other emotions and a lot of, you know, shame and guilt. I don't know if that's one that, that men experience, but I think a lot of women carry around a lot of shame and guilt mm. for not doing oh, or I time. should do this or I should do that, yeah. um, which just layers on more heaviness. And you're never going to get out of the mud if you keep treating yourself like that. Yeah. So self-compassion as you explore those emotions is so important. I love it. I think the concept, it's the right time for this. Um for the awareness around toxic positivity to come in because I often think that uh, particularly in modern life where you've got social media and, and a sort of always on culture um, movements like the mental health movement can take hold very quickly and I think human nature is just to go, 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 go take it as far as we possibly can and then there's a natural rebound or a natural backlash to say okay let's just calibrate this all a little bit here and see um, what the balance is between mm -hmm. promoting mental well-being mental health and promoting the uh, the the fallacy that we should always be happy, and I I had a conversation with the guys at the men who a couple of years ago about you know um, what is happiness uh, and actually should we redefine happiness as contentment mm -hmm. and is actually even though contentment uh, may be a rung down from happiness in in what we're reaching for is it actually healthier to reach contentment and know that there's still space when we can to elevate ourselves to happiness with the knowledge that we will always come back down to our levels of contentment. Mm. We may fall below levels of contentment for a while, but we can always, you know, get back up. So I think this toxic positivity concept is as important to the conversation as how we can proactively raise our mental health. Mm. So thank you for explaining that. Oh, on that note of happiness, I, think, I find it fascinating. There's a few words in the English language that I think are really self-defined. So happiness is a different meaning for you as it, as it will for me. And I think that's when we try and put everyone into the same category or the same bracket or define what success looks like for society. It's different for everyone. And if we start taking this individualised approach to life and, and I suppose come from a place of kindness and non-judgment of other people to find their own level of success or happiness or joy or whatever it means to them, then, then it... I don't know. I just think the world would be a better place. I think happiness is how we find it. It definitely needs to be challenged. I, I did a course just um, finished at the start of this year, and it, it was the science of well, uh, yeah, the science of well-being online Yale course. It was free, actually. I can give you the details if yeah, anyone of we'll, your listeners want to do it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but I'd, I've definitely updated my LinkedIn to say that I'm a Yale graduate. I don't know if that if that really counts or not. <laughs> have, but, you got, have you got one of the t-shirts? No, not yet. Next on the list. <laughs> But they talk in, the, in that whole course about, I suppose, myth-busting, what actually is happiness and, mm -hmm. and actually coming back to what is it, like what is true happiness? And it is about, you know, understanding yourself, doing the daily practices that, you know, connecting with nature, being in moments of silence, connecting with loved ones, doing things that you're good at and that you enjoy. But society has made it something completely different. And I think that's where people compare themselves to the society definition of success or happiness mm. and always fall short. But that's not their truth. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I find that I challenge the contentment and happiness, but I think we need to redefine what what happiness is for everyone. Couldn't agree more. Do you know what? I think um I think in the future you should come back on and we'll like we'll have that as our main topic because it, it is I'm sure it's an endless well of um theory and experience. But let, let's come back to your experiences with mental well being. So you, you kind of explained uh, a little bit about your journey towards moving into the wellness space and and the, the coaching space. What is it? in your life or your well wellness experience that I suppose impassioned you to take this direction? It's mm. a great question. And when I'm not necessarily sure of a short answer to it, so I'll just start waffling and see what comes out <laughs> and you can stop me at any time. Um, I think I've always been someone that's, uh, that's been ambitious and had a strive to go and achieve more. So the thought of settling in any aspect of my life didn't ever register um so when I look back actually change has always been present and some of it is change that's been enforced upon me and a lot of it is change that I've intentionally gone and created Mm -hmm. whether that's small or big I quite I'm quite motivated by you know set myself a challenge or a goal and often that then leads to you know to other things that happen um I've been really fortunate and blessed I've you know I've a really great career that I really enjoyed but I've always had this, I suppose I go back to, you know, as a kid at school, what did I want to be when I grew up? And my first memory is to be an, of what I wanted to be was to be an A&E consultant. Now, that couldn't be further from the truth now, but I think every, everything I've tried to do throughout my adult life has been centred around helping other people. So I've had a passion to make my life the best it can be, but I want to instill that in others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of gone the roundabout way of doing that, but eventually arrived at coaching in, in 2017. And and I suppose, I suppose it was a really, um, like I say, I'd been involved in personal development for a while. So I was always open to expanding my knowledge and going on different experiences and being able to take an experience and channel that into something else. Um, but it was really a kind of... Uh, serendipitous type of meeting I, I met a guy in Edinburgh I'd been at a networking event he was a coach we got we got into conversation I asked about what he did he actually trained other people to become coaches and I was kind of my interest was peaked at that point um and then the kind of synchronistic thing happened after the event was walking through Edinburgh and just came across this mother and daughter shouting in the street at one another and something in me. And I, I think a lot of my coaching is really um, driven by my intuition. So I'm quite good at tapping into what I feel is right and wrong in, in any situation. But saw this encounter in the street and just felt there's something not right here. I need to just hang around. And it's, looking back, passers-by might have thought it was a wee, wee bit weird kind of hovering around this argument. Um, but the part, mother and daughter parted ways. I followed the daughter. She was obviously really upset. And all I said was, are you okay? I could see that she was crying. And it unfold, you know, a 40-minute conversation unfolded where I was able to hold the space for her, um, you know, give her some support, help her find her hotel. She wasn't from Edinburgh. Um, and I j- I just had this feeling after it is like if I can do that every day of my life and give you know create that space for someone and help them through something I want a bit of that action so I phoned the guy that I'd met literally half an hour before and said right I'm in I want to train to become a coach and and that's even evolved over the you know the last couple of years for a couple of years I was working and coaching and it was back in I suppose the end of 2020 
walked away from my career and, and just I've been trying to navigate their older business since then. And it's really been in the last, I suppose, six, six to eight months that I've had this clarity around the, my passion and drive for change and how I help people do that. And it's really important for me that people spend the time at the beginning of any journey to really get intimate with who they are and I think that's a mistake that I had made so again based on my own experience I'd always been used to goal setting and going after the next thing and you know set up a business and being ambitious but I hadn't really taken the time to look inwards to see what was actually true to me what did I want to actually create when you know when you remove what society thinks you should have what your friends expect you to have what everyone else around you is striving for you know we do adopt adopt a lot of that through osmosis almost you know it's not it's not conscious Mm -hmm. um and and what i've managed to do over the last eight months is strip all of that back and just focus in on right who really am i what do i really want to create and i've really incorporated that into the coaching that i do now with clients it's amazing to hear the the hugely human element at the start of your story and to i think for you to be able to look back on that and and know that was where why it started and you you picked up the phone and made that call and and, you know changed your life possibly in an instant Mm -hmm. um it's 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 a very fitting explanation that there is a human element to the start and you've gone into this humanistic career Mm -hmm. where where people are at the heart of it and like you say that you can't you can't really do that effectively unless you understand yourself and know yourself so I mean, huge congratulations on on going through that journey and setting up. It's been, I always say this when, when people come on, but it's been fantastic for, for me to see, and I'm sure it's been fantastic for everyone else to see how this has evolved and manifested in your career as well. Thank you. Huge congratulations. Um, so change changes your focus, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what's your, not to put you on the spot, but what's your elevator pitch for the business, just to set some context for the next part of the conversation? Mm-hmm. I think changes you know, again, it's one of those words that people define themselves. For me, it's about, uh, like I said, not settling. It's about making progress. It's not, you know, we're never striving to be perfect at anything, but what change can you make to be better tomorrow than you are today? And the only person you're in competition with is yourself, if, mm-hmm. you know, if people have that competitive streak. But I think, it, and it could be in any area of your life, I take a really holistic approach to life. So if people want to create change then wellness mental wellness and your mindset and even your physical wellness comes into it you know how how optimizes your wellness to be able to give you that time I suppose that space and energy to make the change um and and it's funny when I I, I've got my own coach and I I feel heartily believe in coaching I've worked with loads of coaches in the past and she said well well every coach is doing change surely that's why you go to a coach and I was like yeah I get that my thing is about the refreshing change. So it's, a, I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. Uh, I, do. I just need to toggle a button and say <laughs> it's, it's not clean. So by all means. I'll keep it clean. <laughs> it's about the no kind of BS. So it's, 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 um, it's allowing, like you said, you put it perfectly, it's allowing people to be human. Yeah. You know, we're not perfect all the time, but we can make progress and we need to create the right accountability, set ourselves up in the right way. And that's so individualized. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's it in a nutshell, is the refreshing change. It's making the change that people really want based mm-hmm. on knowing who they really are in a way that lights them up. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, I, um, I haven't had any formal coaching, as it were, but through um, conversations with youth, with Cameron, who's been on the podcast and who you know as well, yeah. and other people, it's one of those things that 
and this is going to sound terrible because I know the first thing you'll say is everybody has time. As soon as I genuinely have a bit of time in my life, it is something I want to engage in mindfully because I have been through a huge journey of change uh, myself mm. um, over the last few years, but that has not necessarily been by design mm. up until a point. I think it started to happen and then I realized it was happening and then I grabbed hold of it. I mm. thought, right, well, let's let's make this happen in a very mindful, conscious sense and take it in a direction that I want to go and I'm on that journey now. Um, so I, I do also hugely see the value in it. Um, I wonder from your perspective, your experiences with the business you've set up or even before that, what is it that makes people want to change? Is there a common factor or is it very individualistic? Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head with the people want to change. You know, it's you can, and you see it, I now see it in lots of other situations and environments, but people trying to enforce change on others. You can't, no one can make someone change. You have to want it for yourself. And I just think if people take a st- I think sometimes we're life's busy, right? And I hate that word. Um, but it, it's how a lot of people would describe their life. So fast paced, you know, we're trying to juggle and spin all the plates, whatever analogy you want to use. And I think sometimes just stopping and taking a step back and almost reviewing your life as a as a observer sometimes gives you a different perspective of I suppose comes back to that happiness and joy. Which bits of life lights me up and which bits don't? Mm. What can I get rid of? What can I do more of? What have I said for years I want to do and I've just never done? You know, and there'll be a lot, you know, if you, if you start with a blank sheet of paper, you'll, people will come up with loads of stuff. I was going to say, is it almost like a, a, the starting line is like a self diagnosis? Yeah, like I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of, of self awareness. It's like my thing because I don't think any, if you come from a place of self awareness, anything that comes after that is going to be far more impactful. Yeah. Um, and, I, and from self, I suppose to be self-aware, it's about being curious. It's about reflection. It's about um, going inwards and, and being critical, but not in the negative sense, in the kind of like looking for the lessons or mm-hmm. the, um, yeah, things that we've learned. So I think it's, I think a lot of people, because they're on that hamster wheel, they don't often take the time to step back and think, is this what I've created? You know, it's that whole life happening to you versus you doing life. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are in the life's happening to me bracket. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So it, I think it starts there, having the awareness like, oh, actually, I c- something, something could change. Mm-hmm. And then you go on this journey of what is that? you go on this self-discovery journey and you learn as you go you know I'm a big believer in we're not going to have all the answers when we start but we need to we need to take action to then learn more lessons and it's a constant I use the word evolution quite a lot in my coaching because it is it's not it's not like standing at the bottom of a mountain and looking at the top of right that's the life I'm trying to go for and it's just that painful climb up the mountain it's just it's a staircase and that's how I often describe it to people if if they're a visual thinker um because we can take the first step we don't always know what the next step is going to be but we just take the first step and then the second step and you're 25 steps in and you look back and think god I'm a totally different person to who I was six months ago Mm. but it does it does come from from being intentional and deliberate and conscious about going after it I think yeah so I had this conversation with Craig, uh, who was on last time, uh, about this the sudden 
or not so sudden awareness that you reach at a certain point of life. Um, mm. So a lot of us, you know, we said we take our um, take our experiences from childhood or school into our adult lives unknowingly. And I think a lot of people go through their 20s being lived by life or life mm. is living them rather than the other way around. And I was 100% the same. I said mm. last time out, I had complete tunnel vision for my career. I'd never took myself off the hamster wheel. It was always about go faster, faster, faster. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, it, you know, <laughs> ended in a bit of a crash at, at the end of my 20s. And that was the watershed moment for me to say, okay, things need to be different and they can be different. Coming back to your coaching methods, I suppose for people to seek you out or want to work with you, they must have scratched the surface in some way on their own, right? But when you sit down with someone, what's the very first thing you do with them to help set the tone for this journey that you're going to take them on? Mm. I'll do this. Um, I feel like there's two questions in there. So the scratch the surface. I think some people can uh, absolutely start coaching and having having never done anything before because it can be quite overwhelming yeah you know if you suddenly realize like god life's happening to me and i, I want something different like where do i even start then absolutely there's a you know coaching as a space as a container would would help someone and i think it's just i suppose personally as i coach i, I meet people where they're at so if someone's new to self uh, like self-discovery or like even talking about how, what they think or how they feel, if, you know, it's a very different conversation to someone that's been on a personal ge- development journey, read a load of books, been to a load of webinars, made a load of change already, but they want to go to the next level. And that's the beautiful thing I love about change is that it's always going to be there. You don't ever arrive in life. There's always more change you can make. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, you know, we always think about careers going up the ladder, don't we? It's not always upward change. It could be sideward change or it could be, you know, like I said before, I look at life very holistically. So, you know, it's not often that you speak to someone that feels like they're crushing it in every area of their life. So there's always an evolution for for something more. Um, and what was the second bit you asked, the actual question? It was when, when you start out with someone on a coaching journey, what's the first thing you do with them? Yeah, so... Always, in a, my first session is always around a bit of an analysis of life. So we start exploring what you know, what areas of life makes your you know everyone's different. Whether it's you know relationships, family, friends, career, health, wellness, everyone's got their own um, map of of what their life looks like. But then it's figuring out how satisfied am I with that area at the moment, and then projecting into the future. Right? What if it was a ten out of ten? What would that look like? What would it feel like? Who would I be surrounded with? What would my environment be like? What would I have achieved? Just to start to build a picture of where we where we aiming for. Um, and I'm always very clear with people. It's it's never like an anything. You know, it's no surprise. But sometimes you have to remind people it's not a straight journey. You know, it's not a straight line from a three out of ten to right. We know what the ten out of ten is now, and we're gonna you know just take a series of actions because often a lot of the time coming back to our own mental well being is a lot of our and you touched on it earlier about childhood experiences a lot of our mindset is what will stop us getting to that 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. so actually we, you know we start on the journey and we might have to navigate our, a few roadblocks along the way and I suppose that's the power of coaching you you alluded to going and making change yourself and going on that self-discovery absolutely people can go and do that and I would really encourage people to I'm so passionate about it but what coaching does is holds the space and allows you to go a bit deeper than you will ever go by yourself because you get the right challenge and support um to and safe space to do that yeah 
<clears throat> I love it. So again, at the start, what I'm hearing is there's a, there's a degree of what we talk self-awareness uh, or self-diagnosis, if you want to put it in those terms. But as much as that, there's also a degree of visualization. So where are you now? Where do you want to be in the future? And like you say, what are the steps mm. to get there? Yeah. And and ultimately that effectively in a nutshell is what coaching is. You know, how can, how can I get from A, where I am just now, to B, where I want to be? Yeah. Um, the bit that I've probably gone through my own journey in the last 12 to 18 months and now incorporate into my own coaching is is those roadblocks that I mentioned. You know, we can keep, you know, I've had a couple of goals that I've had on my vision board for years and they've never transpired. Now, some of that is because it's actually not true to what I actually desire. So it's come off the vision board. Yeah. And other things are because I've not done the work, the deep work to get through a block to allow that space to open up for that thing to happen. Um, Just to explain what a vision board is to people listening. Oh, right. So, um, and again, I'm big on, there's loads of different method, methodologies or um, or ways that you can look at visualisation. Um, and it's finding what works for you. There's a lot of trial and error in this. And I think sometimes people don't necessarily have the patience to go through and find, you know, find what it is that works for them. But a vision board effectively, you know, is a, lots of different pictures or photos or words of things that, you would like in your future so some people have that in an actual physical pin board do a bit of arts and crafts get a bit creative um you can create a video on your phone or um some people just visualize by sitting and closing their eyes and you know picturing that beach that they want to be on on their next holiday or the dream client that they want to work with or the family life that they want to design whatever whatever it is so there is definitely power in visualization for lots of reasons, but partly to get clarity on what it actually is that we're, we're that we desire, mm -hmm. and challenging that, like yeah. where's it coming from? I'm a big believer in the vision board concept, right? <clears throat> because I'm a very visual and creative person, but mm -hmm. also because, uh, and I'm careful to tread tread not tread too far into this, but um, I also believe in the power of manifestation, mm -hmm. which I know is a bit of a trendy theme at the moment um, in the world of well being and and success and development. Yeah, um, but I do believe in that because. I believe more in the power of the subconscious and the conscious. Mm. And if you have your vision board or you have your manifesting list or whatever it is, um, just knowing that your mind will work away on that in the background and it will influence little decisions throughout your day that ultimately will lead to big outcomes. Yeah. And I think the vision boards, are, I suppose, will, will literally a visual manifestation of what you want to become yeah or how yeah. you want to change yeah I, like, I love it all and I've been doing, you know, vision boards and manifestation and all of that, you know, for years. And again, it, there's a difference between doing it for the sake of doing it because I feel like I should be versus I'm doing it with the knowledge of who I really am mm -hmm. so you know visualize, visualizing stuff that's important to you not that you think you should have or that someone else wants for you but yeah I definitely do like I suppose a lot of what I've been learning is around the conscious and subconscious mind yeah. and it blows I know we've spoken about this around trauma it blows my mind and I, I'm super fascinated in it and i think it yeah it, i mean it's pivotal to 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 life yeah understanding that yeah <clears throat> the more you harness the power of the subconscious the better even though paradoxically you can't really harness the power of the subconscious subconscious but i think um getting to the point where you truly believe in its power is mm. is power in itself because right? mm. it's almost like um you trust that in the background things things your, your mind your brain your body will work for you not against mm. you and i think that's 
can be quite powerful for people to to grasp onto. Mm. Hey everyone, we just want to say a huge thanks for tuning into this episode of The Men Who Talk and take a quick break from the conversation to remind you how you can access more information on our collective. Head to our website, www.themenwho.com, drop us an email at letstalkatthemenwho.com or check out our Instagram, at themenwho underscore, to see what we're up to. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. So why don't you join us on this lifelong journey? Thank you, and back to the show. Thinking about change then, so we've talked briefly about where the journey starts or where it can start. But one big thing that I've been taught around change, um, more in a professional context than a well-being context, but I'm sure it's relevant, is change is all very well unless it's sustainable, Mm. unless it sticks. What kind of things do you work on with your clients or what would you advise people to really affect sustained change that's going to enhance their well-being over the long term? Mm. Yeah, it's a great one. And there's so many mixed messages about how long it takes to form a new habit. And, you know, there's loads of books about forming a new habit. And I think, again, it's one of those things that's so individualised. And that is an area that I look at with clients is how do you set yourself up for success? So you know, you know, you might know what you're going after. You might just know that where you're at is not fulfilling. So you want to make the change. But if you don't set yourself up in the, in the right way, you know, you're destined for, I quite like a bit of failure because we learn from it. But effectively, you're not going to reach the goal that, you, that you've set yourself. I think partly going through that journey of self-discovery and understanding yourself, what motivates you? What accountability do you need? Because, again, we're all different. I know if I have to get up in the morning, I'm not very good with my alarm. <laughs> so I, I've just done a kind of 12-week transformation, which I've created for myself. Um, it was really tailored to what I needed and what I was intentionally trying to trying to achieve. Um, but I got on Zoom with my friend in the morning. We both committed to doing yoga every day for 12 weeks. Oh, wow. Um, now, if I had said to myself, right, I'm going to get up and do yoga at 7 a.m. every day for three months, there's absolutely no danger that that would have happened. And I, you know, I enjoy it. I'm good at, you know, I like a bit of yoga. I know how beneficial it is for my well-being. But there's no way. So, and that, it's not necessarily about forming the habit. I'll never get to the stage because that's not the type of person I am. And that's absolutely okay. So I know that if I want to create that success habit in my life, I need to create it in the right context where I've got external accountability. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of people go wrong. They just, you know, I'll keep going and I'll keep going and it, the habit will stick. Yes, yeah, some habits do. You know, I brush my teeth twice a day. I've been doing that for 34 years. But I don't think I'd ever get to the point where I'm going to enjoy getting up early because I'm not a morning person as a default. And rather than, this is again what I'm passionate about, rather than changing who you are at the core, it's about understanding it and life hacking your way to the still get the success that you want. Yeah. I think a lot of people, especially in the business space, are talking about, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to get up at 5 a.m. There's absolutely no danger. <laughs> so I'm getting much up rubbish, at five. isn't it? Yeah. And I, I bought into it for years and I was, you know, getting up and I was knackered. And actually for a lot of people, it's counterproductive because 
actually sleep's really important yeah. for success and for your mental well-being. Oh man, how many times have we scrolled through LinkedIn and seen that someone someone's achieved everything that I would normally achieve in a day in their first hour? Yeah, and I'm all for it. Like as you say, if that works for you physiologically, great. And I would love to be that kind of person. Maybe I will be when I get older. But like you, I just the, the value of a bit more sleep for me in the morning. Um, is much more powerful than getting up and forcing myself into a routine and yeah. having having achieved everything by six a.m. and then think, well, what the hell am I going to do for the rest of the day? Yeah. Um. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah. What about? Uh. Well, I th- coming back to your point about accountability, a few people have brought that up in conversation on this podcast, and it mm-hmm. is it's critical because it does play into our sort of innate human uh, need and and evolution from community. You know, when particularly back in the day when <laughs> I say that as if it was. 20 years ago but i'm talking you know thousands of years ago when we literally relied on one another to survive Mm. so we all had our individual skills and that we were all literally accountable to one another for Mm. survival i think you know finding modern day methods of that you know perfect example through zoom to do yoga with a mate is a great example of modern accountability Mm. what about what guidance would you give people when they are when they're flagging and they say right "Mm." I'm I'm feeling this is going to slip. What can they do to bring themselves back to that place of motivation to sustain this positive change? Mm. I think a lot of people motivation. I think is a bit of a kind of fallacy. Like I'm going to wait for the, the motivation will just come, or I'll wait for it and then I'll take action. There is a bit about you just have to take the action. Mm-hmm. And actually, for I think what what stimulates motivation the most is seeing the results and and the reward of what you're doing. Yeah. So going to the gym is a good example. You go to the gym, you're never going to feel motivated if you're starting out. But a couple of weeks in where, you know, it starts being a bit easier, you're enjoying your run, your physique's maybe changing if that's one of your goals, then that motivates the next part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think, and again, this is the fine-tuning with with self-awareness, you can do this, and I, I, I do this now. Some mornings I say I'm going to go for a run and I do and I feel great. And other mornings I say I'm going to go for a run and I don't. And I'm cool with that. So it's knowing like when to lean in and push yourself and, and to commit to what you committed to. But it's actually also okay to say, I just didn't feel like it today. Mm-hmm. And allow, like, this is the thing, it's giving yourself permission to do that without any attachment of any other, I mean, mainly shame and guilt, right? But any, any other stuff or baggage going on. Just be like, yeah, it's cool. Because I think that's where a lot of us are striving for whatever we're striving for. You know, we set ourselves a goal or a deadline and and that forceful, I'm quite anti-forcing these days. I'm more about getting into that state of flow. And it's important that we enjoy, again, it comes back to happiness. Happiness doesn't happen when you've reached the goal. It has to happen every step along the way. Yeah. And that hopefully for people, if you and this is again comes back to knowing yourself. If you're doing the stuff that lights you up, it's far easier to show up. If you're forcing yourself to do something on a daily basis that you don't enjoy, well, why are you doing it in the first place? Yeah. So I think it's it's questioning yourself. It's questioning why am I doing this? And and if the answer isn't because you want to, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> You can keep singing. Normally with a mic in front of me, I do love a bit of karaoke, but <laughs> I'll let, I don't think the listeners will enjoy that. I only do it because I've watched Frozen about 3,000 times in the last two years. Fair. We won't go into that. Um, <laughs> there's, 
if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know sometimes what we try and do at the start is put a little snippet of wisdom from the conversation at the beginning to get people excited about what's to come. And I'm sitting here about halfway through this conversation thinking, which one am I going to pick? Honestly, I've, almost everything that you're saying, I'm just thinking, well, that would be good and this would be great. And so you've um, you've you've done me a bit of a job here, but it's been incredible for me as a friend to listen to your journey about moving into change and the way you're helping people, the way it started, which I didn't know with mm-hmm. that conversation with the women on the street. And I'm absolutely convinced that everyone listening will, will take that and think, right, well, either I'm inspired or motivated or here's something I can apply to my own life. If they are sitting there and thinking that, um, how can they get in touch with you? Tell them, you know, where, where to come. Yeah, so I'm happy to share my details. I'm mainly on all the social media platforms. All the socials. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm on Instagram as Nicola underscore K underscore Scott. If you search Change Coach, I might pop up as well. Um, I'm on LinkedIn or people can get me on email. Um, I can give you all my details. Um, but yeah, if anyone, I suppose, ha- I always t- often think this, if people listen to a conversation and something's triggered within themselves, then if you just want to have an exploration chat, um, then yeah, feel free to get in touch and, and we can do that. Great. Well, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. Even though I haven't um, used your services yet, I, I probably will one day, but I'm also a beneficiary that I get the wisdom through our uh, conversations in friendship. So mm. um, I'm, I'm a lucky man in that regard. Um, thank you for explaining this this change journey and giving some wisdom and guidance for people to, to take away. Um, I said at the start, you're the, the first female guest on the Men Who uh, Talk podcast, I hopefully the first of many. Um, and that's because I and everybody else involved recognise that there is a lot to be learned from uh, the way others, other men, but also other women approach mental well-being. And I'd love to explore that with you. Not not saying either of us will have any of the answers, but mm-hmm. it'd be just interesting to you know get under the hood a little bit. Um, I mean, first and foremost, do you think men and women naturally have a, a different outlook to their mental health or mental well-being? Yes, but I do believe that a lot of that is driven by societal norms. Um, I think at an individual level, there's part of me that does believe we're all human. Um, and actually a lot of it's it's just conditioned. It's that classic, you know, you go back to being being a child, like, you know, you're a young boy, don't cry. You know, and you wonder why grown men struggle to express their emotions. Um, there's a lot around, lang- you know, quite passionate about language, but there's a lot around the language and words we use and how um, that affects different genders. Um, you know, even, you know, me- we boys being handsome or little girls being pretty or, you know, I'm quite... I want to kind of like eradicate some of that or just heighten people's awareness. Like I've got a lot of friends with young kids um, and we've spoken about this before. I think, you know, you go on your own self-discovery journey to know who you are, but then you think, God, now I've got the next generation to look after. How am I impacting that by the words or phrases that I'm using? So we've all got a responsibility, I think, to start breaking down some of that. And I do think there's a lot of good work happening in that, that mental health space about I suppose anyone, however you identify your gender, being able to speak about it and that safe pockets of space, safe spaces being available to people. But I do think, personally, men probably find it harder based on all of that societal conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned before as well around that, you know, the years ago when we were in our caves and we all had our own roles to play. 
I think that some of that definitely in our kind of like identities as men and women impacts our own wellness. So, and again, I'm not an expert in all this, but I think like the feminism movement as well. I think women, that classic phrase of like what to have it all, well, what does that even really mean? Um, there is, I suppose, if you look back to the when, you know the cave days you describe about everyone playing their own role, people went out and hun- hunter and gathered, and other folk would stay at home and look after the home. You know, we've lost you know, if that whatever you believe, however the world started, if that is what happened, we've definitely lost a sense of that in today's modern world. Yeah, we're all trying to do everything, but we still haven't shaken off a lot of the the toxicity. To come back to that word, mm. particularly around the way males are perceived and the way women are perceived, it's it. We've lost a lot of that sort of natural evolution, but there's still something sticking around that's not healthy for us as a society at large and for individuals. Mm. Yeah. I do think there's, uh, I had a, an interesting conversation with my friend the other day as well around just masculine and feminine, you know, because there's a, which is different to being male and female, you know, that kind of energy, masculine energy and the balance that we all have individually. And again, it, the the corporate Career environment, I think, has a lot to answer for. Yes. If I was speaking out of turn. No, no. Um, you, you can speak freely on this podcast. <laughs> but I do think that the expectation on women to be able to strive and have a career and have however they deem success, but still be at home raising a family and, you know, spinning all the plates, this is not possible for a human. So it is, I think a lot of it's down to... Yeah, societal norms and pressures, but then also how we define our own roles within a family unit or a corporate environment that then, ha- I suppose, has that knock-on impact of our, of our well-being. Yeah, it's such, like I said before, I'm keen to stress that neither of us have the answers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> professionally or experientially, but, but it is, it's an incredible subject to dive into. And like I say, I want to have more people on the topic, men, women, mums, dads, um, to, to unpick this I'm going to ask you a question that uh, <laughs> I don't want this to come out the wrong way but a lot of men will sit there and wonder is what do women talk about when they're alone mm. you know right well, and what so just take me into a, a typical conversation with one of your friends or a group of friends over coffee over drinks how soon into that conversation do emotions and feelings come up mm. quite quickly and I'm I'm going to preface that with I am quite a self-aware person. I've done a lot of work on myself, so I I can hone in on that pretty quickly and now do that with almost relative strangers if I know that the space is safe. Um, but I, but this is the interesting bit that I think is the human bit, not the gender bit, because I think there'll be some women that probably don't ever talk about their feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. So it comes back to generalising, yes, probably women do speak about their feelings and emotions quicker or easier with a friendship group but that again I just to, I suppose want to make the point that that's not a given for every woman like there's like and it comes back to that and this is why it's so complex right because we're all so different completely and it's not a given that you know all men sit and talk about football and exactly not about their lives um like you've alluded to at the start generally that's been the stereotype in society hasn't it mm. um but I, I find yeah I, I am interested to know that on average you know it I, because it's not in men's conversations um i think to 
I think to talk about emotions, feelings, something you're struggling with, most often the person who wanted to talk about it would either have to engineer it Mm. or the the guy or guy sitting on the other side of the table would have to pick up on it. And like you have said so eloquently, hold that space Mm. and welcome the other person into it. Um, But I, I, I get the feeling again through talking to you, through talking to my wife, um, my female friends, that it, it's not such a situation that it needs to be engineered. Mm. And you probably feel, is there an element of the way that you have whole conversations that I suppose opens that space up quicker or more naturally? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm racking my brains at the moment thinking of all the conversations I've had with girlfriends over the years. And it's definitely changed as I've changed. Um, I find the the you know the question whether it's on over a WhatsApp or in person, like how are you, is such a powerful question if you've got the space to answer it properly. Yeah. And I think that's the bit where or the courage. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that courage comes. I suppose it's easier to find if you know that there's a non-judgmental. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And and knowing that you don't have to have the answer, you just have to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, as society, we're awful at that. People people think conversation is a two way dialogue, and it and sometimes it is. But actually, the power of listening, like there's that. I don't. I'm not one for cliche phrases, but people say you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm-hmm. And there's a real difference between listening and really listening. And I suppose as a coach, and I've probably innately always had a some sort of skill around coaching because it's I just love people and I'm really curious so I will sit and listen quite intently and often I'm I'm working on this myself but I'm aware in a conversation I can deflect to the other person and not always give myself enough space in a conversation to share enough about me yeah and it doesn't come from a bad place it's because I'm fascinated for about the other person and want to be there to help them so we've all got things we need to grow and develop. But I think, I wonder, and I'm just think, chatting as I'm thinking, I'm wondering whether the environment or the actual location of where you have a conversation actually is quite important as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot about catching up with a lot of my female friends. It's either in a coffee shop, in each other's houses, on the phone. Um, I've got a lot of friends where actually it's a one-to-one friendship. It's not necessarily a big group of eight girls getting together. Mm-hmm. I've picked up friends in lots of different facets of my life. Um, so I think that it's all context, right, isn't it? So it's the it's the environment, the timing, the relationship you've got with that person. And I know, you know, out of all the f- female and male friends I've got, I know which ones I'd happily open up to more than others. So even though I've got the skill to tap into my own emotions and be able to share that, there's people that I would choose, actively choose not to share yeah. that with. So yeah. it's so, it's not as it's complex, it's just so contextualised. Um, but yeah, I think generally as a whole, and again, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily come from a good place. It comes from a, you know, people would say, oh, well, women talk too much or we're gossips or, do you know what I mean? There's a negative spin on women. You know, people say, you know, you get a group of eight women together on a Friday night, like, what are they talk, you know, mm-hmm. talking about? Mm-hmm. Men and boys and, not, you know, there's that sort of negative spin on it as well. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's probably, and it probably 
does stem back to wee boys having to suppress their emotions because they're not allowed to cry. I do think that a lot of it stems from childhood. Uh, I was just thinking that I'd love to. I'd love to peel peel it back to the source. I'm that kind of person. I want to mm. go back to the source of something because, you know, I believe that that has a lot to say about why things are as they are today. Or it's a very effective way actually to come back to change is to look at the source of a problem or an mm. opportunity. But I would love to go back to the source and think right. In in the context of our lifetimes, what is it about the school environment that we carry mm. into our adult lives? Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, what is it about the the male environment growing up, the female environment growing up? Again, back into our ancestral days, but probably more relevantly for us um, throughout the, the, the kind of 20th century. And because there was so much change for us as a society in a small space of time. Mm. That has far outpaced our ability as humans to evolve. Mm. And I think we're, we're at certainly what feels like the apex of that now, uh, that we just can't keep, keep pace. Yeah. To, come, <laughs> to come back to the topic, it would be fascinating to know what the genesis of this all is. Um, just on that, though, I think that, you know, a lot of things that are passed on generationally. So it's going to take a generation of self-aware people to start challenging and changing what that norm is. And I do think we're at a point now where there's such a rise in people being able to speak about their mental well-being. They're, you know, people are becoming more self-aware. They're challenging the norms on a level that I've not seen in my life lifetime, I don't think, mm-hmm. or that I've been aware of, certainly. Um, because a lot of, you know, when you think about it, go back 30 years and what you'd be four, we would have been four, you know, how our fathers behaved was just based on their programming from their fathers before, you know, so it, and I always think with, you know, childhood trauma, everyone's doing the best they're doing with the information that they've got. But I think we're now in a really privileged position as a kind of generation today, bringing you, bringing it, bringing up the next generation where we've got more knowledge and insight than we've ever had before. Not only just because of the internet, because people are starting to look inwards a little bit more. So do you think it's an exciting time if we start challenging the norms on a mass scale? I think that's the only way we'll ever change it. You know, it's you talk about the school system, which is fundamental, but we can't forget about people's home lives and the family unit. And like you say, it looks completely different now to what, what it did years ago. Mm-hmm. But that maybe presents an opportunity to to start having more honest, vulnerable, open conversations. Yeah, I I too am of the same mind, and I'm very excited that we seem to be in a watershed moment of mm. breaking ancestral chains. And I do think I do when I think about why that is. I do think it's one of the the most positive things that you say the internet, but also social media has brought because it has brought um, awareness and and literally different perspectives in your pocket and our parents never had that their parents never had that so you all they had to go on was the chain of command whereas now we mm-hmm. can we can take a step back and for better or for worse look left look right look up look down and model our lives on what we see out there yeah i was going to interrupt you there because i think it is looking left and looking right but then forming your own opinion and i think coming full circle yeah that and that's a conscious i've got quite strong views about different things in the world and mum often challenges me like why where did that come from or who did you hear that from yeah i said well i I, you know i take all the sources of information i've got and then i reach my own conclusion so we can't lose our own critical thinking within all of that but Mm. you're absolutely right there's more on one hand there's more noise that we have to make sense of but also lots of other perspectives or points of view 
that I suppose we have to put through our own funnel and then yeah. make sense of it for our own life. Yeah, rebuild it internally mm-hmm. as part of that journey. Couldn't have put it better myself. Um, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask this question of both of us, and it's probably a horrible question, but I do feel it's only fair that we both ask, answer okay. from our own perspectives. Um, and if you want, I'll go first. <laughs> I mean, the question is: um, so, as as a woman, um, what do you think? What one trait um, around managing mental well-being do you think that men could borrow or learn from women that would really help them mm-hmm. and i'll answer the same question so whoever gets there first with an answer can go <laughs> um i think for me and again i don't want to put all women in the same bracket but i think like asking for help i probably see women display that in greater strength than men i think there's a sense of um and actually i see this from from all genders like people just wanting to have the answer or not show that they don't know or not be seen to not know something but it comes back to that if we all play the role that we're meant to play I'm actually really now clear on what my strengths are but there's a whole host of stuff that I'm not good at and rather than striving to be good at them all I just I just let it go I'm not bothered about it but if one of those things presents itself in life I'll ask for help I'm not I can't do everything Mm. And there's something human about that. We're not, you know, we're not superhuman. So I think, yeah, I think women probably on the whole ask for help more. Maybe not always in the most productive manner um, or communicate it in the clearest way. Um, but yeah, I think if more men ask for help, that would be maybe my suggestion. Can't argue with that. Okay. Um, so again, I'm, <laughs> I think, I'm thinking really hard here. Like, and this may, this may not resonate with... Um, female listeners out there but one thing that men are very good at actually in the mental well-being space is talking about um notionally uncomfortable things when they're undertaking an activity that has nothing Mm. to do with what they're talking about Mm. so they say that um, men are more likely to open up if they are not in direct eye contact if they are using their hands if they're being creative if you know (laughs) let's just say playing golf um so as i say I, i don't know whether that will resonate with women or not but one thing that women could potentially borrow from men is um, get involved with an activity whilst you are having these conversations as well, mm-hmm. and I'd almost let that be the leveler for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's that. there's a thought. I don't know. How, I mean, how does how does that sit with you? Yeah. The first thing that came to mind was women saying, "I don't have time for another activity." Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> I, I would challenge that anyway. I think yeah. And again, that the thing that resonates from what you said is also finding. You know, if you're doing an activity you enjoy and then you're having a conversation with someone that also enjoys that activity, you've got a common ground straight away. And that's probably one of the reasons it's maybe easier to open up and and talk as well as doing the physical act of doing something. But yeah, it comes back to community, doesn't it? And human connection. And if you can find that in a place where also you enjoy doing the thing that you're doing. Yeah, can't argue with that either. Love it. Love it. I'm glad to have scratched the surface with that. And that's all we've done, but you know, it's not it's not a conversation I've ever had with um with a with a, with a woman. Mm. So thank you for, I suppose, helping me unpick that a little. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some guys out there listening who will take on board your advice and your your viewpoints too. Mm. Um, let's let's move back up into the general mental well being space and and give some guidance to listeners. Um, if you had if if someone came to you and said they were struggling, I know that you said you approach people in that situation, which is admirable. Um, an admirable quality but if someone comes to you and says you know I'm not feeling my best I'm feeling anxious depressed whatever it is what one piece of guidance advice based on your experience would you give them to help them out 
Oh, one piece, that's so difficult, John. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't all a walk in the park, this podcast. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> um, I think, and again, I know you, you, with the talking circles and stuff, this is a big bit of what you guys do, but I think it is talking. If you can, if you're feeling a whole host of emotions and you can externalise that in some way, it just is the first step, I think, to being able to start processing it. So that, and again, you have to find what works for you. That might be speaking to someone about it. That might be journaling, you know, get a pen and a notebook. It might be, you know, going out a run and allow your thoughts just to flow through. So I think it's it's trying to, yeah, it's trying to process and understand. So it's finding a way that, that feels natural to you. But talking is a good place if you can, if you know someone that you can, trust or a friend or family member or reach out to someone that's a coach that professionally can hold the space for you it just start, helps you to start make sense of how you're feeling mm. yeah well look i'm going to advocate that being part of a men's talking group <laughs> but um but yeah what you said you touched on journaling you touched on holding the space i think any any outlet you can find um and you'll be surprised i'm often surprised at how my thoughts process from my brain to to the mouth or, or through the name of a pen they, they come out slightly differently than I thought they were up there in that mm. funny place called the mind. Um, again, going back to some of the earlier parts of the conversation, you said you've had your own journey with mental well-being. You've you've proactively addressed a lot of that, but, but a, a simple and a complex question at the same time. Having gone through all that and with the benefit of hindsight, can you see the value in having gone through adversity in your life? A hundred percent. So there's probably a period, and and I suppose there's a disclaimer like i i would say have i gone through periods of being mentally unwell probably not i've definitely vividly remember a period probably back in 2017 where i felt really low mood for a prolonged period of time and that's probably the closest i've been to feeling depression if we want to label it mm -hmm. um that one experience so I, I still i functioned i still went to work every day i do a lot of you know back in when i worked my corporate job i did a lot of extra you know extracurricular type stuff business and hobbies and things all of that stopped for that period i could maintain work on netflix and that was about it for, for a good four to six months um and the biggest lesson i learned from that period in my life was to let go of shame and guilt and it now, now I don't feel it really in any aspect. So that's just one example. There's been loads of other lessons I've learned throughout my life that have made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things like it, you only can see the dots all joining when you look back at a journey. You know, you can cast a vision forward for here's what I want to create but you can't ever make sense or know which step's going to be the thing that then leads to that, that next goal. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in listening to your intuition, taking all the lessons. And that, again, that's conscious, right? You, you, stuff happens to us. You choose whether you process it and take lessons and, and learning from it or not. You know, I'm single, which I'm happy to share with people, personal details. <laughs> um, but every breakup I've gone through, I've learned something, not not about that other person, but about myself, which then takes me to a whole new whole new level. So I do think, as you know, if people are going through really tough stuff at the moment and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, know that it's there, and that I do. I'm a believer in more only sense stuff that we know we can handle. 
and it's going to build resilience. It's going to build loads of different experiences. It's, it's, you know, you might take you to your darkest place, but there's a reason for it. And now with what I'm doing with, with my coaching, everything that's gone before as experience and lessons learned is impacting how I help people now. So I wouldn't change it. And I would definitely forecast forward differently. Like I, my trajectory changes every week or every month based on the lessons I'm learning and the insights I have. But yeah, I would never change the past. Yeah, that's very beautifully put. Um, I'm the same. I'm a big advocate that um, you, you can eventually reach a point where even when you're going through adversity or even when you anticipate it, you, you know that there will be a lesson mm. and that it will positively impact you at some point in your life whether it's immediately whether it's tomorrow whether it's in 10 years this morning i have faced a piece of adversity right and i've i kind of came out of that um and thought well how can i use this to my advantage what can mm. i take from this and i have all day i've been applying that mindset you know use this as fuel use it as a platform learn from it take it forward um you never know what will come of it etc but i actually funnily enough um positioned my mind before I had this piece of news and I almost kind of conditioned it and prepared my mind for the the the, the outcome I didn't want which was what transpired okay all right and I never would have done that even two or three years ago actually do you know what even about a year ago um and I definitely would have wouldn't have responded to it in such a in quotes positive manner Mm. I think it's often people talk about you know it's not what happens to you it's how you deal with what happens to you yeah. and there's a i think it's mel robbins that's got a quote that says something about you know from every situation or experience in life you will take a lesson a person or a thing you know that you wouldn't have had without that experience so and again it, it, oh god i could talk about all this stuff for ages <laughs> I'd, it is you know, it's only us that label our experiences as positive or negative or yeah. good or bad. There is no good or bad. It's only yeah. experience. It's, yeah. And if you take that label away, oh my God, it totally changes the perspective. I'd come up with a quote, actually. I don't know if I coined it myself or so I'd heard it someone else. But, you know, like our choices, there's no good or bad choices. And actually, it's more powerful if it's, if it's aligned or it's not aligned. If it's aligned to you and it's true to you people would often label that as good but it's i just think we label we're too quick to label stuff which then it's like a domino effect then to other other thoughts or feelings or emotions coming from that thing mm-hmm. um but yeah i, I just find it also fascinating <laughs> brilliant like we're going to end off what has been a, a fascinating conversation with something i know you'll be familiar with because you're a fan of at steven i don't know if he has a surname does he Oh, Bartlett. Stephen Bartlett, CEO oh, big, man. Big fan, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's a, he's a super guy, incredible podcast. But anyway, we've borrowed a, a, a tradition from his, which is I'm going to put a question to you from our previous guest, so Craig Barry, and then I'm going to ask you to leave a question for our next guest. But the question for you, um, which is a very relevant one, is what do you do every day to actively manage your mind? Yeah, there's probably a few things. I am... Um... I'm not a big journaler, but I definitely do check in with myself. I do quite a lot of processing in my own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably because I've been at this stuff for quite a few years now. Um, and also, maybe not necessarily daily, but I definitely go through periods of knowing which tools and techniques I need to implement based on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. So I know, I haven't done a lot of, um, I suppose, learning, but also experiencing it myself, that my diet impacts my mood massively. 
my exercise, you know, all the go-to stuff. But again, it's finding what works for you. Classic theme. So, like, I know if I'm feeling slightly lower mood, I might have to have a conversation with my friend or I'll go out or run or I'll go and make a healthy salad for dinner rather than having pizza. Do you mm. know? So I make it, I suppose I, maybe the, maybe the answer is choices. I make the right choices for how I'm feeling in that moment. And that's because pro- I'm able to process my thoughts internally. Yeah, positive choices. You're, mm-hmm. you're spot on. It's really no more complex than that, even though it's quite a difficult point in your life to reach. Mm. I think the, you know, you just labelled it there, challenge that by saying positive choices. Sometimes <laughs> they're not the most positive. Sometimes my choice is to eat the bar of chocolate. Yeah. And I know, you know, I know I shouldn't, in air quotes. Um, but it's knowing what the right choice is for you in that moment doesn't mean that that same choice would be relevant for you the 24 hours from now so I think it's been able uh, and that's come from years of exploration and knowing myself really well that I'm able to make the right choice in the right moment um so yeah I think that's a it's a fine balance I stand corrected the right choice in the right moment there you go I'll remember that yeah um to wrap off to wrap off to wrap up uh, do you have a question for our next guest I was thinking this on when I was walking here, doing some active travel, get my mind going. Um, and I was trying to think about it based on change. So my question is, what, I suppose, it, coming back to mental well-being as well, but what change in someone's life took them on a different course in terms of their well-being? What, I suppose it's coming back to that anchor, that root. But what was it, that one thing if people are happy to share or they can share it generally um, that helped them navigate in the right direction? Brilliant. Nicola, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your guidance. Um, I wish you the very best of success with your own coaching journey going forward. And um, if anyone's feeling inspired to, to pick up the phone or Instagram or whatever it is, please do all the information's in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's thank been a blast. You. It has. Now, back to the sun. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Men Who Talk. We really hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and can apply some of today's wisdom to your own mental well-being practices. For more information on this episode or our collective, head to the show notes or visit our website www.themenwho.com or head over to Instagram at underscore. If you've found value in what we've been sharing, feel free to rate and review our show as it really helps us spread the word and reach more listeners. For now, keep talking, stay well, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Men Who Talk.